All right, we are in the last part of this series, What Happy Couples Know. Um, if you've missed any, th- any time in this series, if you missed the first three weeks, I really encourage you to go to impactchurchmd.com. You can watch any of the YouTube videos or you can listen to our podcast. You can subscribe to our podcast through that as well. Um, but we've been learning a lot throughout this series, and I hope some of the stuff that we've been learning when it comes to our relationships has been very helpful for you. But uh, one thing that we know that happy couples know, happy couples know that we all have a box. We all have a box of hopes and dreams and desires that when we think about our relationships or our future relationships, we all have this box of what we hope for, what we're dreaming about, and our desires. But what happy couples know is that a lot of times we give that box to our partner, they don't receive it as hopes and dreams and desires, but instead they receive it as expectations. Here's now what I'm expected to do. So what happy couples decide is that they owe each other everything but aren't owed anything in return. That's what happy couples decide. You know what? You don't owe me anything, and I'm going to owe everything to you. And we have that mentality. It changes everything. What else happy couples know? Happy couples know that we should mutually submit to each other, that, that a great foundation of a relationship is going to the back of the line, is being the first to go last, to drop our end of the rope and mutually submit to one another. And what do happy couples know? That with that box that we have of hopes and dreams and desires, that we don't unload that box to our partner who is never, was never designed to fulfill that box for you, but we unload it to the God of the universe who can handle it. We cast our anxieties, we unload our box onto them. So that's what we've been talking about throughout this whole series. But I don't know about some of you guys, but I know for me, I've been trying to apply this, and this is um, not an original series. This is a series that I heard a long time ago, and, and so my wife and I know this series. We know the concepts we're talking about. We know these principles. Um, but for us, even with us trying to apply it, we still struggle with this. And maybe some of you guys, you've been trying to apply this in your friendships or in your relationships, and you still found yourself struggling with some of these things. Just this week, um, Monday, uh, my wife was off on Monday. It was... It was um, President's Day, right? Okay, good. President's Day. Um, and my wife was off, and so we were hanging out all day. And for those of you that are in relationships, you know this, but we just were, like, not getting along. And nothing happened. Like, one of us looked at someone else the wrong way to start, and then the rest of the day was us battling back and forth with smart comments and bad looks and, like, not listening to each other all day. And literally, by the end of the day, we were so done with each other. You ever have those days as a couple? You're just so annoyed with each other, and there's nothing we can do. And here's what happened. I felt like she owed me an apology, and she felt like I owed her an apology. But neither of us were going to apologize, because she owed me one. I didn't owe her an apology. She's the one who started this. I was just responding. That's what I felt like. So what does that mean? We weren't submitting to each other. I'm not going to submit to her. She's wrong. I'm right. She thought I was wrong, and she was right. And then the end of the day, the day is just full of just a bunch of little comments and bad looks and sarcastic. Nothing big happened. Just a bunch of those little things. The day ended with us unloading our boxes onto each other, and it ended with us just going to sleep. We didn't resolve it. And then Tuesday, I started preparing our sermon for today, and I got really convicted because what we're going to talk about today is what Erica and I did not do on Monday, what we both failed to do. And here's what's important, and here's what happy couples know. Happy couples know that they have a choice. Happy couples know that they have a choice. They have a choice. Sometimes this choice that we're going to talk about, it feels more like a reaction, but it's not a reaction. It's always a choice that we have. So what is that choice? What is the choice that happy couples can constantly make? What is that choice that happy couples continually make to make their relationships happy and healthy? What is that choice? So we're going to be talking from 1 Corinthians chapter 13. So if you have your Bible, you can open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Um, Here in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing a letter to the church in Corinth. 
to the church in Corinth. And this city is a wicked city. Um, you ever heard what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas? It's same is true with this. What happened in Corinth stayed in Corinth. You did not talk about what happened in Corinth because it was such a wicked city. And Paul planted this church in the city of Corinth. And this, this new church was full of people that were not, not Jewish. They were Gentiles, which means that they did not have the Jewish background. The Old Testament, they, that was not their background. They had a whole different background. So these people were all new church people. That, that were planted this church. And they're trying to figure out what to do. So they asked Paul some advice on like how you do animal sacrifices and how you worship the gods and, and marriage advice. So Paul writes this letter back to them to kind of go over some of that stuff. And one thing he tells them that's super important for us to know, one thing he makes pretty clear is that the God that they were used to worshiping, because they were used to worshiping pagan gods, and pagan gods did not care about you. They didn't care about you. You, you were there to serve them. So you have to sacrifice for them. You have to do child sacrifices to them. That's what they would practice. So they're used to that pagan God. And Paul's saying, listen, you're used to this vertical form of worship where you got to do something for them. It's not about vertical worship. It's about horizontal worship. The way you worship the one true God is how you treat everybody else. That's how you worship this God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, we see what Paul is talking about when it comes to our marriages. Now, you probably know 1 Corinthians 13. In fact, if you're married, you maybe had this said at your, at your um, ceremony. Maybe you have been to a wedding where you've heard this, but you've heard 1 Corinthians 13. But for a lot of us, we haven't really understood it the way we're supposed to understand it. So we're going to start in verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. It says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What is, what, is, what is Paul saying? He's saying, listen, if, if I can speak in the tongues of men and of angels, which back then they were actually trying to learn the language of the angels and of the gods. So if you have the best preaching and the best ability to speak and you have that, but love is not accompanied with it, then you are like a clanging symbol. What does that mean? You're annoying. Your noise means nothing to God. It's obnoxious. If I grab, we have the drums up. If I grabbed a symbol and just started hitting it, none of you would be like, that sounds great, Eric. You'd be like, that's obnoxious, please stop. And for those that say, that speak in the tongues of men, Paul's saying, if you found out that language of the angels, and you had that, but you didn't love, then to God, it's like a clanging symbol. It's meaningless. This reminds me of um, some pastors that I've met. I've met a lot of different pastors being in being a pastor myself, I've obviously met a lot of pastors. I've met some like more famous pastors um, for, at big conferences. I've had a chance to talk to some, and I've met just many pastors in our district, in our denomination, and other denominations. And I have known some pastors that have just so much knowledge about the Bible. Like they just have great knowledge. Their preaching is just awesome. Like if they want you to cry, they can get you to cry. If they want you to laugh, they can get you to laugh. They just know how to publicly speak. And I've seen some of those same pastors be fired from jobs because they were so terrible to their staff. I've seen some of those same pastors have an affair on their spouse. I've seen some of those same pastors be terrible to their kids. Do you think their preaching ability without love mattered to God? If it wasn't accompanied with love, it's a clanging symbol. Verse 2, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I have, and I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing." If I have faith that can move mountains, if my faith was so strong that I could perform miracles here, that I could perform miracles, look how great my faith is, but it's not without love. Paul says, I'm nothing. Not like, yeah, God, you're nothing. You're nothing. Knowledge is not the measure of our faith. It's love. Then in verse three, 
Paul continues, if I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. Now think about this. Think about this. Can you imagine if I decided I'm going to sell everything I own? Everything I own, I'm going to sell. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to live in a trailer or a tent. And every dime I make from my house, I'm going to give it away. I'm only going to have like four pairs of shirts and one pair of jeans because most guys, we talked about it at staff meeting this week, most guys wear the same pair of jeans. We only have three pairs of jeans. You guys know that? Girls, do you know that? We only have three pairs. That's all we have. And, we, and this one will last like a week and a half easily before I wash these suckers. But let's say I sell all of them but one. And I sell everything I own. I, I sell my car. I sell my computer. I sell my Xbox. I sell everything I have and I give it all to the poor. You'd look at me and go, man, that's some strong faith there. And what Paul is saying is if you do all that, but you don't have love, you don't gain anything. It's worthless. Really? Without that, without love, I gain nothing. And, if, and some of you may, you may have heard of um, prosperity faith or seed faith. You ever heard of that? That's where televangelists will say, hey, send your money and God will bless you and you'll get a return in that. Let me tell you something right now. If you give to gain, you won't gain anything. You won't. Why does God call us to give? Not so we can gain a bunch of money and somehow we'll get all this money. God calls us to give because it frees us from the trap of greed. And it helps us to be generous. And all of a sudden, we're not dependent on our stuff. And God will bless us, but he's not going to bless us financially. If you ever go to a church that says, you give to us, I promise you, you're going to win. It's a, it's a hoax. Don't do it. Don't do it. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing. He keeps saying, but I do not have love. Have love. What does have love mean? And so Paul starts to explain what have love means in the next verse, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is willing to wait, willing to wait for the person. Love is kind. That's being generous. That's being considerate. It does not envy. It does not envy. It's not jealous of your spouse or your partner. It's not jealous. You're not a story topper. You guys know what a story topper is? Story topper is whenever you tell a story, someone else has to now tell a story that's better than your story because they can't ever let you have attention. It's not that. Not that. Story topper. You don't do that. It does not boast. It's not boast. It is not proud. It means we're not arrogant. We're not arrogant about who we are. Can you go on to verse 5? Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Verse 7. It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Now, these four things, protects, trusts, hopes, perseveres. There's one of these four things that are not like the other. Because one of these four things aren't really dependent on me. It's more dependent on them. Let me, let me explain. Always protects. I can always protect Erica. I can always do that. No matter what she does, I can protect her. I can protect her physically, make sure she's not in any harm. I can protect her emotions. That's on me. That doesn't involve her. I can always hope. I can always have hope. No matter how bad it is, I can always hope for something better. That's on me. I can do that. Persevere. I can always persevere. That's implying that there's a tension or there's something wrong or there could be something wrong. I can get through that. That means I can plow ahead through that stuff. I can persevere. But trust, always trust, what if she's not trustworthy? What if she does something to break my trust? I can't always trust because sometimes she doesn't deserve my trust. That's on her if I don't trust her. I trust, she has to do stuff to make sure I, I trust her. 
And in the, in the Greek translation, the word trust can also be roughly translated to believes or believes everything. I can't always believe everything because sometimes she has stuff that's not believable. See, this doesn't seem to fall on me. Isn't this on her? And for you that are in a dating relationship or married, doesn't this fall on them? You can trust them when, when they deserve your trust. But this, always trust, this is the choice that happy couples make. Happy couples make the choice to always trust. Let me show you this way, I have a little bit of demonstration here. Sometimes in our relationships, we have our expectations, what we expect to happen, then we have our experience, and there's a gap. Sometimes this happens for us, where we expect something when it comes to this, it's not just romantic relationships, but any relationships, your friendships with anything, but specifically with romantic relationships. We expect something from our significant other, and what we experience is complete opposite. I'll give me some examples. Maybe you expect that your spouse is going to clean the house. You expect that they're going to, um, they're going to do the laundry because they said they would. You expect they're not going to be late because they said they won't, they won't be late. You expect they're going to pick up the kids because they said they're going to pick up the kids. They expect they're going to make dinner because they said they'll make dinner. Then all of a sudden you get to your experience and they didn't make dinner. They didn't pick up the kids. They forgot the thing you asked them to get. They didn't clean up the house. There's a gap here between what you expect and what you experience. What you put in this gap is a choice. It's your choice what you put in here. Most of us think this is a reaction. I'm just going to react to however they, whatever this is, I'm going to react. It's not a reaction. It's never a reaction. It is always a choice. It's always a choice. Here are your choices. You can believe the best or you can assume the worst. Those are your choices. When your expectations and your experiences don't line up and there's a gap, you can decide, I'm going to believe the best in them. You know what? I'm sure they had a good explanation. You know, I'm sure they didn't mean to do that. You know what? I'm sure that, that they, they had every good intention of, of cleaning up. I'm sure they had every good intention of making that dinner. I'm sure they didn't mean to be late. They just, something happened. They have a generous explanation. Or you can assume the worst. They did it again. You know what? They always do it. You know what? They don't actually care about me. You know what? They're lazy. Now, I got to pick up because they weren't willing to do what I asked them to do. That's your choice. You can assume the best or expect, I believe the best or expect, assume the worst. That's your choice. Happy couples make it a habit to assume, to believe the best, to assume the best. Happy couples choose to believe the best. It's not a reaction. It's a choice that you are making every single time. It is a choice. This is what it means to always trust. I'm always going to trust you. That means I'm always going to assume the best in you. Because I trust you enough, I'm going to assume the best in you. That when my experiences match up with the expectations and you don't do what you said you were going to do, I'm going to believe the best in you. It's a choice that happy couples make. Happy couples choose to believe the best. The fight Erica and I got in this week it was solely because we both chose to assume the worst. I assumed that she did, was annoyed with me, so I was like, you know what? She's not going to get any of my trust back. All, we made the choice to not believe the best in each other, and it caused a major fight. And now I'm, I'm there on Tuesday trying to tell you guys how to believe the best when I really failed at it on Monday. I didn't know how to do it. I felt convicted. But this is a choice we make every single time to believe the best or assume the worst. It's your choice when there's a gap here. There was a book 
um, written years ago. I actually have a picture of it uh, up on the screen right now called um, The One Thing You Need to Know by Marcus Buckingham. The One Thing You Need to Know, it's, it's a leadership book. Uh, it's, it's actually a pretty good book about leadership and managing. And in this book, they cite a 20-year-long study on happy couples. They cite this long study on happy couples. And what they do is they, for 20 years, they watch these happy couples in the U.S. and Canada and in um, Europe. And they define what happy is as in a relationship that lasts the whole time, but they're also so like each other at the end of it. Because some relationships can last a really long time, but they don't really like each other. It's not necessarily a happy couple. They define happy couples as a relationship that was lasting for over 20 years, and they still liked each other at the end of it. And their goal was to figure out what was the common denominator. Why were they still happy? Why was this relationship thriving? Why was it happening? So they made an an hypothesis, which you do in school, right? You make an hypothesis of what you think is going to happen, why this relationship is still going well. And the hypothesis was that they assumed that they just downgraded their expectations of each other. And they looked at them, they had a more realistic view of each other, they downgraded it, so that way they could work off of that. So if you downgrade those expectations and downgrade what you think of that person and are more realistic on who they are, then they're not going to disappoint you as much. You can go, that was their hypothesis. They found, after the end of the study, that their hypothesis was 100% completely wrong. That's not what happy couples did. In fact, the complete opposite was true. Happy couples didn't downgrade their partner. They believed extra high of their partner. They looked at their partner and they, they thought unrealistically high of their partner's morals and values and who they were. They asked them to do surveys and they had to talk about themselves and rank themselves in certain areas and rank their partner. Happy couples in this, in this study consistently ranked their partner higher than their partner ranked themselves. Over and over and over again. They had an unrealistic expectation. Their, their result was, you know what? That love is blind. That's what it really is. That it's blind to the inaccuracies and it's blind to who they actually are because they have an unrealistic view of each other and they were happy because of it. And here's what they found. It created an upward spiral of love is what they called it. And here's what it looks like. They would, they would have an illusion. It'll be up on the screen right now. The illusion of what they they thought of each other, created conviction. They actually started to believe it. They started to believe that their their partner was actually better than they actually were. The the conviction led to security. They were so convicted by by, um, what they were, and they believed it so much, they were so secure in their relationship because they believed so strongly that that other person was so awesome, that they were so secure in their own relationship. That security, it led to intimacy. led to intimacy. It fostered intimacy because intimacy is all about opening yourself up. You cannot be truly intimate with somebody until you fully open yourself up to somebody. And you can't fully open yourself up to somebody if you're not secure in the relationship. That security led to a greater form of intimacy. And the intimacy then fostered love. The love they were all looking for, it fostered love. And then they found that love underscored the illusion, which kept it going over and over and over. That's what this study found. What did this study find? They assumed they believed the best in each other. Here was a recommendation that they gave at the end of this study. The recommendation was this. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior, and then you got to believe it. That was a recommendation. So when there's a gap here to what you expect and what you experience, figure out the most generous explanation for them. You figure out that explanation of why that gap is there, and then you believe it. Believe the best. It's a choice that you make. Erica and I, we have been saying this to each other for years, to believe the best. We'll say to each other, hey, believe the best of me. 
Because there are times where we don't believe the best in each other. Um, for, for me, there are times where um, I, I will tell her I'm going to do something at the house. Like I, she asked me to fix a door or fix stuff, and I'm not very good at that anyway. So I was like, yeah, I'll get to it. And then I don't get to it for a long time. Um, and then she's like, hey, can you make sure you do this today? And make, don't forget to do this or don't forget to bring this thing somewhere. And I always forget. I'm terrible. I forget a lot. Ask staff here. Anytime I'm supposed to bring something here, I always forget it. I have to call Erica and ask her to come bring it when she comes to church at 10.30. So I always forget. And so at times she'll be like, why'd you forget? And she'll start yelling at me. And at times I will say, Erica, believe the best in me. Believe that I didn't mean to forget. I just forgot. She goes, yep, you're right. There are times where I have to, uh, she has to say it to me. Erica will go to Target. And you ladies love your Target for some reason. I mean, it's fine. It's great, but I don't know why it's so great. Um, and she'll go, and I'll say, hey, can you make sure you're not there, like, super long? She goes, yeah, I'll make sure I'm back soon. And then um, we have each other's location on our phone. I don't know if any of you guys have that, so I can kind of see where she is, so I can spy on her. And I'll look after an hour and be like, is she, she's still at Target. She's still there. And so I will say, hey, you said you'd be home quickly. Why don't you come home? What's taking you so long? I'm here with the kids, why don't you, what's taking you so long? And she'll reply back, hey, sorry, I just got stuck with stuff, but believe the best. Like, yep, you're right, I'm not believing the best. I'm assuming that you just don't care about my time. She might be there buying all the groceries that we need to buy. She might be buying me a present for all I know, but I'm trying to rush her to get home. I believe the best. And this goes past your romantic relationships. With staff here, we, I try to believe the best. That's a culture we're trying to institute here is to believe the best. Um, Frank, who's our, our worship director, um, I've known Frank for... Long time, since high school. I was at a band in high school, and so was he. Um, I was in this, like, semi-hardcore band that screamed a lot. We were really terrible. Ask my parents. Uh, we were bad. Um, I had long hair and an eyebrow piercing back then. So I was a different, I really shouldn't have told you guys that. I'm embarrassed to told you that. If you look at our Facebook, my Facebook, you'll find a picture eventually of me with eyebrow piercing. Bad idea. Um, so I met Frank that way because I was in a band and so was he. And um, his band was a little better than mine. And we would play a lot of shows together. Anytime we had a show at a church or a coffee house or a club or whatever, and there was an open, open spot, I would ask them to play and vice versa. We always asked each other to play. And um, so I've known him for a long time. We've been really good friends for a while. I was at his wedding. He was at my wedding. Um, so when we started staff and we started Impact Church, he became staff here. It's, it can be a little tricky sometimes to have someone on staff that's also your friend. Or use your friend first and you're a friend for a long time. That can be tricky because now you're in a different dynamic as staff. So one of the things that Frank and I established really early on is that we would always believe the best in each other. We would always do that. That no matter what we believe the best. See, Frank works um, on patios. He like a, has a real man job 40 hours a week. And then he does this on Sundays and he works on the worship and all the stuff he has to do for impact um, on staff for free. He's, he's a volunteer staff. Um, so there's times where he's too busy, and I, don't, I never want him to sacrifice family for church. I don't want him to sacrifice um, his family to the altar of ministry ever. So his first priority is his family, not here, not church. So there are times where I'll ask him to come to a meeting, and he will say, hey, um, I, I can't come. I'm, I'm not going to come to that meeting. And we believe the best in each other. There's times where I'm like, I would like for you to come to this meeting. He's like, I, I'm sorry, I can't come. I have to believe that he is not coming because he knows that his family is a priority and he's going to take priority over his family. So if he says he can't come, then I believe the best in him that he cannot come because he has to be with his family or he has to do something else. In the same way is true if I ask him to come to a meeting, he knows that it's important. 
if I'm asking him. So he's going to believe the best that I'm not just going to ask him to come to things just to fill his time, but I'm going to ask him to come because it's important. We believe the best in each other. We should be choosing to believe the best, especially in romantic relationships, but in any relationships, to believe the best. Find the most generous explanation for each other's behavior and believe it. Happy couples choose to believe the best. Happy couples choose to believe the best. What you place in this gap is something you decide to place in this gap. It's your decision. It's your choice. Believe the best or assume the worst. Now, I know there's a couple objections to this, and there's some things that I know some of you guys are thinking about right now of, yeah, but what about this? Yeah, but what about this? Here's, here's some of uh, the objections that, that we normally hear a lot. Um, it's one, what you experience, and two, who you are. Yeah, but they did it again. Yeah, I keep believing the best, yet every time they keep doing it over and over and over and over again. And I keep believing the best, and they keep taking advantage of me. It's because of what you experience, number one. Number two, for some of you, it's who you are. Who you are. You think, no, I'm not choosing this. It's just a reaction because of who I am. See, none of us come to our relationships on an empty slate. We all have baggage that we bring. We all have something in our past. We all have our, our, our childhood wounds that we bring to our relationship. So for some of us, when certain things happen, we feel like we can't help but react. It's just who we are. Like we just can't help because of who we are, because of our past, because of what we experience. But let me tell you something. This is a cop-out. When you decide, you know what? This is not a choice. It's just a reaction. You're copping out. You say, no, it's not my fault now. No, it's your choice. I don't care about what you've experienced. I don't care about the inconsistencies of your partner. I don't care about your past. You are choosing to believe the best or assume the worst. You are choosing it. And here's, here's what's really dangerous about assuming the worst and why we should never do this. Assuming the worst is a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you assume the worst long enough in your partner or in your friends, eventually it will come true eventually you will be proven right. If you assume the worst long enough, eventually that will happen. Because here's what's going to happen. If you continually assume the worst, your partner's going to walk around in pins and needles on you, around you. They're, they're going to be nervous about doing anything wrong. And that's going to create low trust in your relationship. Low trust. And th- relationships don't thrive when there's low trust. So you need to be careful what you do because if you keep assuming the worst, that partner is going to be so careful about what they do around you, they're going to seem like they're doing something wrong even if they're not. Or eventually, if you continually assume the worst, you're going to create an environment for them that they're going to eventually fall into the trap that you set for them, and it won't even be their fault. You just kept making the trap over and over and over. Assuming the worst is a self-fulfilling prophecy. We should believe the best. Let's go back to what Paul said. Verse 6. Paul said, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love isn't trying to catch the other person doing something wrong. Love isn't building a case against the other person. Love doesn't keep score. That's what it's saying. And then in verse 7, it always protects. Protects the relationship. Protects the relationship from suspicion. It always trusts. It always gives a generous explanation for that person, always trust, always hopes. You trend positively. You get rid of negative environment and negative culture, and it always pers- perseveres. You push through the doubt, and you continue to believe the best, even when it's hard. So the question you want to ask yourself, and the question you have to ask yourself is this. Do you believe the best or assume the worst? What do you do? 
What do you do? Do you believe the best or do you assume the worst? When your expectations don't match up with your experience, you have a choice. Do you choose to believe the best or do you choose to assume the worst? It doesn't matter who you're with. It doesn't matter what your past looks like. It is a choice. Happy couples choose to believe the best. They choose to believe the best. Anyways, what's the alternative? Really, think about it. What's the best alternative of always assuming the worst? When you assume the worst, you're going to delight in uncovering mistakes. You're going to thrive on speculation, and you're going to embrace doubt. Is that really what you want? If, when you have kids, is that what you want to model for them? They say, hey, I want to know the secret to marriage. Here's a secret. Set a trap for them. They're going to fall into it eventually. It'll be, you'll have a great marriage. No, we don't want to model this. The option of assuming the worst is a terrible option. So what I want you guys to do this week, I want you to try, when the gap is here, to believe the best. Make the choice to believe the best. When it comes to your romantic relationship, when it comes to your friendships, whenever this gap shows up between what you expected and what you experienced, believe the best. So when you believe the best, what you are doing is you are choosing to trust. That's what you're doing. You're choosing to trust. And trust creates acceptance. You know that, right? When you trust somebody else, it makes them feel accepted. And when they feel accepted, they will draw closer to you. They will. Because all of us crave acceptance. We all desperately want acceptance in our life. And when we feel accepted by our partner, we will draw closer to them. But if we don't feel accepted, we're going to push away from them. But they only feel accepted if they feel trusted. Trust creates acceptance. Now, does this mean that you don't have hard conversations? No, you have hard conversations. If this happens over and over and over, you have hard conversations and you talk to your partner about what it is. But the second that conversation is over, you believe the best again. You have that hard conversation, 10 out of 10 times they did it. You have that hard conversation, but the 11th time they do it, you know what, I'm sure there's a good explanation for this. You go right back, why? Because we don't keep score. That's assuming the worst. We don't hold it over their heads. We always trust. We believe the best. Believing the best is choosing to trust. So I want to encourage you guys this week, as we finish out this series, what happy couples know. When it comes to our box of hopes and dreams and desires, we remind ourselves that we owe each other everything, but they don't owe us anything in return. We mutually submit to one another. It's what a healthy relationship is built on. On a race to the back of the line mutually submitting and taking our box that we have and giving it to the God who can take care of that box and we decide and we choose to believe the best in our partner and our friends believe the best that's choosing to trust can we pray dear God I thank you for being the God that models love for us and just showed us love. Showed us love on a cross. That sacrifice that you made that, that on that cross to save us from our sins, to show us grace and hope. God, I pray for the people in this room that are having trouble with this concept, myself included. That we just always kind of seem to fall under the assuming the worst. Dear God, help us to do what Paul says, to always trust. That's what love is. 
that if we love our partner or love our friends, we need to trust. And that means believing the best in them, coming up with that generous explanation to whatever it is. God, I pray for the relationships in this room. That gap is there a lot between the expectation and their experience. God, I pray that you just guide them and lead them and convict them to choose the happy choice, to choose to always trust. God, this is not easy. It's a constant battle that we have to constantly fight. We have to constantly choose. Help us to figure out the ways that we need to choose. Our ways to remind ourselves. Help us to spend time with you where you can convict us when we don't do this. At the end of the day, we want to have great relationships. We want to have relationships that, that model the love that you show us. We can't do that if we constantly assume the worst in each other. Dear God, help us to believe the best. Thank you for being the God who gives us hope. We love you, we praise you. In your son's name, amen. We're going to close with our theme song for this series. So at this time, I want to encourage you guys to stand up as we sing this last song together.